All right, ladies and gentlemen, have a seat. Have a seat. Okay, so really quickly. Oh, uh, by the way, there are study guides available for you. I see most of you have already gotten some of them. There are some, I believe, still on that table. Uh, you can have uh, study guides. There are some pens as well if anybody needs them. Go ahead and grab those. And I've included in um, the study guide that you'll be filling out, there is um, there are some notes that you guys will be able to take home with you as well that maybe will help you uh, if you're interested in studying a little bit further. Maybe help you give uh, just a little... Just a little bit more uh, understanding into it. Okay, so we are going to be in the book of Job. Let me give you just a bit of uh, interesting facts before we dive in. Uh, By the way, by the way, let me tell you also this before we dive in. Um, Let me prepare you. We are not going to hit every single uh, moment that happens in Job. We're not going to hit every single argument. Uh, this is poetic language in a lot of ways. It is Hebrew poetry. And so we are going to look at several different moments inside of the book of Job. But we're not going to hit every chapter by chapter. We're not going to look at all of the arguments and all of the things that are said. But I thought that it was appropriate to kind of mention to you that Um, What Job gets at the heart of, okay, is the number one question that is asked against Christianity, that is asked against believers. The number one issue that is mentioned about Christianity is this, uh, or when people say, I don't believe in a God, or I don't think that God is real. When they make that statement, it's always, or not always, but many, many, many times based in the heart of the question that is posed in the book of Job. And that is this. Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world if you claim that there is a good God? Have you guys ever heard that question before? If God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering? It's the number one question asked against Christianity. C.S. Lewis, a brilliant, brilliant Christian apologist who uh, died uh, a long time before even I was born. He made this statement. He said that pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Think about that for just a moment. What does pain always cause you to do? Pain and suffering always causes you to stop. Why? Because you're hurt. You stop because you feel almost gut punched. And it makes you consider the pain that you're in. doesn't matter if it's physical, emotional, spiritual. Pain stops you. And it makes you look for answers. It always, always, always does that. Okay, uh, interesting fact about the book of Job is that Job might have been, might, emphasis on the word might, it might have been the first book written from the Scripture. I know a lot of you sit there and think, wait a minute, no, Genesis. Genesis is the beginning, so that has to be the first. Well, it is the first one in the narrative of Scripture in our Bible. It is the first one we have in order because it tells the beginning story. But Job might have actually been written down before the book of Genesis. It could have been. We are very confident that it is a, uh, a traditional story told, it was probably orally communicated, told by all these uh, moms and dads to their children. It was probably shared from generation to generation to generation. 
it might have been written down first. But at the end of the day, and this is the first slide, this is the first answer on your study guide, we don't know who wrote Job. We have no idea who wrote it, really. We have some guesses, and I have a guess as well. And because we don't know who wrote Job, we don't know when Job was written. That's important to understand. We don't know who and we don't know the when, but we do know the time or the setting that it was in, or we have a really good guess. Now, I believe, I think that Moses is probably the one who wrote down the book of Job. I think Moses probably did it uh, even before he probably recorded uh, the book of Genesis. I think that that's probably the most likely scenario, but there are plenty of other wonderful and intelligent scholars who say that maybe Solomon did it. Uh, and that would make sense as well because it's in the, the line and the theme of the wisdom literature, which you guys are going to uh, start moving into here very soon. But Job starts wisdom literature. So some people say, well, it's got to be Solomon who wrote it. Uh, others, myself included, say it was Moses who wrote it. There are other people who think that it could have been one of the prophets. It really doesn't matter who wrote it. The reason for that is because the message that's in Job is timeless. So let's look at the Old Testament timeline. Uh, Joe shared this a few weeks back, and it is incredibly helpful. Uh, if you still have your timeline, it is very, very helpful. Um, it will kind of show you the way that we've been going. So we started in the book of Genesis. We walked all the way through the first five books, Joshua and Judges, Ruth. We went all the way through the Kings, the Chronicles. And right about here is where we kind of stop. Okay? We've reached right about here, the period of the Kings, the Babylonian exile. Okay? And then we saw the post-exile with uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. Where is Job on this timeline? We've walked all the way through this timeline, but where is Job on it? I know it's small print. So if you point there like that, that doesn't actually help me. All right? So watch. I'm going to show you what, I'm going to show you what it looks like from my angle, okay? <laughs> so that doesn't help at all. Right? Like zero helping at all. Yeah. It's, it's where? It's the second thing, yeah. So... It's not that it was maybe the second book written, but it happened right here in between Genesis 1, 11.26 and 11.27. So this happens before the law comes. This happens... Don't do it again. Alright? It happens right here while the book of Genesis is going on. Now why is that important? I mean, it's kind of important for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is that we see Job doing some pretty interesting things, but the law hasn't been written yet, and so we wonder, well, how did he know what to do? It had to be because of what we know about Noah. He's like, there are some interesting questions about it. That's really kind of just an, an interesting tidbit. Let's move on to that, that section A, okay? We don't know who wrote Job, and we don't know when Job was written, but on the next slide, I want you to understand this. The focus of Job is the timeless truth that God is sovereign even in suffering, okay? You guys need to understand that. We are still talking about the problem of pain today. Today. And Job might have been the very first book of the Bible that was ever recorded. And we're still talking about the truth that God is sovereign even in suffering. Now, we've been going through this a lot on Sunday night. What does the word sovereign mean? What does it mean? What does the word sovereign mean? Okay, so when I say sovereign, it means what? That's right. God is in control. He is sovereign. He reigns over everything. He is in control. So, the book of Job is focusing on a timeless truth. That's why when we say we don't know who wrote it or when it was written, that's okay. 
That's not a problem. Because we don't need to focus so much on the who and the when it was written. We need to focus on there is a timeless truth here that's being communicated through every single generation. And it impacts us here where we're sitting today. It's going to impact us tonight. It's going to impact us tomorrow, in the coming weeks, months, years, for the rest of our lives. This is a timeless truth that needs to be communicated. So what we're going to do at this next section, number two, you've got a bunch of questions there. What do we know about Job? What do we know about Satan? What do we know about God? And what do we know about suffering? Okay? Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read, just read, Job chapter 1. I'm not going to tell you these answers. As I read through Job chapter 1, you're going to be introduced to Job. You're going to be introduced to Satan, to God, and to suffering. And I want you to write down your understanding from Job 1 as I read it. Does that make sense? This is on you. And then I'm going to ask you at the end what you wrote down. What did you record? By the way, I'm going to be reading um, from the uh, Legacy Standard Bible, and there's a, there's a good reason for that. I'm not reading from the ESV. Most of you will probably have ESVs. There's a reason why I'm reading from the LSB, uh, and I will bring that out here in a little bit. So it might sound a little different if you try to read along. But I want you to focus on those four questions. What does Job 1 tell us about Job? What does it tell us about Satan? What does it tell us about God? And what does it tell us about suffering? Let me start off. The book of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the sons of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Now it happened when the days of feasting had completed their cycle that Job would send and set them apart as holy. And he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, it was the day that the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh, and Satan also came among them. And Yahweh said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Then Yahweh said to Satan, Have you set your heart... Upon my servant Job, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered Yahweh and said, Does Job fear God without cause? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But send forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only do not send forth your hand toward him. So Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh. Now it happened... That on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother, the firstborn, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them. They also struck down the young men with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while this one was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the young men and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
And while this one was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans set up three companies and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the young men with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while this one was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother, the firstborn. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and touched the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he give offense to God. What do we know about Job? Did anybody write down anything? Logan? He was wealthy. He's wealthy? Andre? He was blameless and upright. Blameless and upright? Nay. He said one who feared and turned away. One who feared and turned away from evil? Yeah. So Job, oh yeah, Casey. Yeah, the greatest son of the East has the most possessions. We know a lot about Job in this one chapter. What do we know about Satan? He roams on the earth. He roams on the earth. So let me push pause on this really quickly. Most commentators, most people who, when they write commentaries about this, they talk about how um, God basically has a meeting with all of the angels. And Satan shows up to the meeting and that's when this interaction happens. That's not what I think is going on there. It says in verse 6, now it was the day that the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh. No angel has ever been called a son of God. In fact, Hebrew tells, the book of Hebrews tells us that. That no angel has ever been called a son of God. So the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh and Satan also came among them. So what do I think this is? I don't think it's some sort of angelic like meeting place. I think that what we're seeing here is the sons of God, meaning the people who follow after God, the ones who are Doing like what Job does, offering sacrifices, burnt offerings according to the number of them all, offering sacrifices for sin, doing those things continually on the day that the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh to do what they're supposed to do, that Satan is roaming among them. Why? Because Satan hates it. It makes so much more sense if Yahweh looks at him and says, where do you come? And he answers from roaming about on the earth, walking around on it. It makes so much more sense to understand that Satan, he's very interested and very spiteful and angry over those who follow after God. What else do we know about Satan? He's roaming on the earth. What else? He's tricky with words. He's tricky with words? He's good with words. and very like covering up the truth to make it sound better. So he's, he can kind of uh, he can maybe twist words. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that he's, he almost like questioned God asking why, after God says, I uh, consider my servant Job, he's like, why well, have you not protected him? Like, put a hedge around like him and like his 
possession system. Yeah, yeah. What were you going to say, Casey? I was going to say he tested Job. He tested Job? Here's the thing, guys. Look, you have to understand this. He gets up there, and he does. He calls God out. Satan calls God out. You understand the guts that's on someone to call out God? He's getting up there. God? He worships you because all you're doing is protecting Him. But if you remove that hedge, if you put your hand against Him, He's going to curse you. Guys, do you know how sure you have to be to question God? I mean, you've got to be sure. What does that mean? It probably means He's seen it time and time and time and time again. What do we know about God? Say it again. He is in control. Is Satan going to be able to do anything to Job? Not unless God says, okay, you can do it. Even the devil is God's devil. That's a Martin Luther quote. What else? What do we know about God? Case. Yeah. I was going to say he's sovereign, but <laughs> what were you going to say, Logan? He obviously believes in Job. He yeah, he knows. He knows the kind of person that Job is, doesn't he? What do we know about suffering? It yeah. causes people to turn their back on God. Sometimes. What else? Sometimes. Sometimes. What else? Yeah, there's something else going on here. Job doesn't see it. Job doesn't get it. But something else is going on here that Job doesn't understand. So let me tell you a story really... Oh, Yeah, yeah I was going to say, like, in this context, it was nonstop. Like you said, uh, one person was telling about one tragedy, and then another person would come in. Like, yeah, while the person was still speaking about a tragedy that happened, here comes someone else with even worse news. I want you to know, what do you think was probably the, the hardest thing for him to hear? His family, how did they die? A great wind. That's going to be important. A great wind came up there and blew the house on top of itself, and they were killed. You guys need to keep that in mind. A great wind did it. So let me tell you all a story from when I started college a long time ago. Um, I went to, before I went to Southeastern Bible College, I started off by going to the University of Montevallo, which is a liberal arts college. And uh, there was a religion class that was there. So I thought it was going to be a study of all religions. And I was kind of very interested to go and, 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 and jump in. I went and uh, took the class, and that's not what it was. The guy gets up there. And uh, he makes this statement. He says, okay. He's, he hands us the syllabus. said, here's what we're going to be covering. And none of them are world religions, like at all. I mean, like we covered like Elvis impersonators. I'm not lying. Like that's one of the things we covered in this religion class. So he was just off, off on his own thing as it was. But he hands out the syllabus. And he starts talking to us about where his life has led him up to this point. He said, I used to be a Methodist preacher. And then I realized that God doesn't exist. This was on day one of class. I realized God doesn't exist. And they kicked me out of being a preacher because I was telling my congregation, you need to grow up and you need to stop believing in God. He said, let me tell you the reason why I don't believe God exists. He said, he said, the book of Job. And he explains to us all that I just read to you. And he says this on the first day of college. He says, any God who would do this is a real... Son of a gun. First day of class. And the entire classroom was silent. 
except for me. I raised my hand. And by the way, guys, you, you're not going to win. He's the professor. You, if you challenge a professor in class, you just don't have a chance. And I didn't have a chance. Because at any time he could just say, stop. And, and what am I going to do? I have to stop. I challenged him as much as he was willing to allow. Does book Job chapter 1 paint God in that light? Certainly he thought so. And certainly there are others who believe that as well. Let me move on to let you know this. The question is going to be asked over and over and over in the book of Job. Why? But the third answer on your study guide, I want you to know this, okay? we got to get this out of the way. The book of Job never answers the question, why? It's not even interested in the question, why? Everybody asks why, and everyone tries to explain a reason why Job is going through this. Everybody tries to throw on scenario after scenario. Everyone tries to pick a reason, but the book of Job itself never answers it. So what does it do? If it's not interested in answering the question why, well, number four, because the focus of the book of Job is this. It's not the question why, but it's this question. Is God just? Is God just? And what does it mean if I say, is God just? What does that word just mean there? What does it mean? Fair? Yeah, to a certain degree, absolutely. What else? Hmm? Equal? Say it one more time. Oh, he's, oh, he's unbiased? Okay, that he's, that he's, he's going to treat everybody the same? To give justice is to give a due reward for behavior. Yeah. Is God just? It's asking the question a little bit deeper than, than is God fair? It asks the question... Does he give what is deserved? And that's a very, very big question. So we're not going to be asking the question why so much as through this, I want you to keep in your thoughts the question, is God just in all of this that's about to go down? Is God just? Is this right? The next one, Job goes on an emotional roller coaster trying to understand why he suffers. Now, let me make this statement here at the front, okay? Job asks the question, why? His friends that come up ask the question, why? Everybody asks the question, why? And God never really gets on to Job for asking the question, why? It is okay to ask that question. It's okay to ask that question. But understand, there is a larger question that always has to be addressed. In the middle of pain, in the middle of suffering, you must ask the question, is God just? Is God just? That's the larger question. Really quickly, I want to read just a segment before I have you open up these, these verses. By the way, will someone open up to Job 9, 22 to 28? Casey, uh, someone open up to Job 16. Got it. Logan. Uh, nine, uh, Job 27, 2. Lydia. Job 31, 5. Okay. Let me read this real quick. By the way, uh, and I've got to really move. I've got to fly through this. 
This is chapter 2. Again, it was the day that the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh, and Satan also came among them to stand himself before Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Satan, Where do you come from? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And Yahweh said to Satan, Have you set your heart upon my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. So you and Cited me against him to swallow him up in vain. Satan answered Yahweh and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, send forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you in your face. So Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh and struck Job with terrible boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. And he took a posterd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the wickedly foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept calamity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Something happens there. What has God been called all the way through up until now? Yeah, say it again. Yahweh. Yahweh. Do you guys know what Yahweh means? Some of you do, some of you don't. Yahweh is a very important word. If you've got your ESV translation, what you probably see... I'm going to do this. Look. You guys are not kids, but it helps to have this up here. Yahweh, when it comes in the ESV or most translations, it, when you see the word Yahweh, instead of writing out Yahweh, they do it like this. They write L-O-R-D in all caps. Okay? Every time you see that, it's because it's translating from Yahweh. Now, what does Yahweh mean? Yahweh is the name that God gave to Moses when Moses was standing before the burning bush. He says, who should I say has sent me? And he says, I am that I am sends you. That's Yahweh. That's his personal name, Yahweh. And the Hebrews took this word so importantly here. It was a personal name of God. It was the personal name of God. The relational name of God. They took it so seriously that they wouldn't even spell it out. Alright? What they would do is they would write Y-H-W-H. That's what they would do. And so when you saw this, you knew that they were talking about the personal name of God, the relational name of God. I am that I am. Now, we know today that the translation is Yahweh, but actually, if you, if you look at the Hebrew, this Y often makes kind of a J sound. And the, <coughs> the W often makes a V sound. So, there's actually some mistranslations. We know that they wrote it like this because they didn't want anyone to say it in blasphemy. Can you pronounce this? You can't because there's no, there's no vowels there, right? Yeah, you, you're going to sound like gibberish. So in order to translate it, early translators would try and say, what vowels go in here? What vowels go in here? And so they would try all these things out. Eventually they learned that it was Yahweh. Y-A-H-W-E-H. Yahweh. But... Uh, originally or, or early on, they messed up and they put an E here, an O there, and an A there, and they pronounced it Jehovah. So the name Jehovah is actually a mistranslation of the word Yahweh. It's okay, though. If you hear the word Jehovah, that's not like it's a bad word or anything like that. It's just a mistranslation of the word Yahweh. God's been called Yahweh all up until now. But the last time, the last time we see Yahweh being used 
The last time we see it is right here in chapter 2. Verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh. Yahweh is no longer used. What does that mean? Something about this suffering, something about this calamity, something about this pain separates the relationship, the fellowship that Job has with God. There's something that's broken. There's something that's torn. Let's look at some of the emotional roller coaster that Job goes through. Uh, who had Job 9, 22? Go ahead and read that for us, case. It is all the same. Therefore I say it joys both the blameless and the wicked. When his to brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. Do you hear what he Do you hear just the pain? Do you hear the pain? He's consumed. He's just tormented. What about 16.9? That was me. Okay. He has torn me in the, in the wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his eyes against me. Who do you think he's saying is gnashing his teeth against him? Job is saying, he has gnashed his teeth against me. Who is he talking about? Who do you think he's talking about? Probably Job doesn't even know who he's talking about. But most likely, more than likely, he's talking about God. God's gnashing his teeth against me. Think about the anguish he's going through. This man who was blameless and upright in the eyes of God, and now he's going through pain and suffering, and he's asking, why God? Why God? Why? And he's not getting an answer. And look at the, the emotional place that he's in. Chapter 27, verse 2. Who had that one? He has made my soul bitter. Bitter. By the way, Yahweh is not used. Most of what is used uh, throughout the rest of the book of Job is uh, the word El Shaddai. And that just means God Almighty. Sometimes it's Elohim, which is just a general um, term for God. But Job recognizes the one who has the power, the one who has the strength, the one who has the might in this scenario, it's God. It's God. My relationship is broken with Him. My fellowship with Him is torn to shreds. I am in anguish. I am in suffering. I am in pain. But God holds the power. He's the Almighty One. And then Job does something. Verse 30, or chapter 31, verse 35. Who had that? So he's talking about God. And this is what he says. Oh, that I had one to hear me. God, are you listening? Behold, here is my signature. In other words, I've told you. I've told you where I am, God. I've laid it all out there. And I've signed my name on it. That's what I've got a problem with. I'm in anguish, God. I've written everything out there. I've told you everything, God. Here's my signature. It's complete. It's done. And then what does he say? Let the Almighty answer me. God, answer me. Give me my answer. And the indictments which my accuser has written. I've written down, I've signed it, I've told you, God, I'm innocent, I'm blameless. Now, God, you answer me. You're my accuser, you answer me. Job's in a terrible place. Job's in an awful, awful, awful place. And he's asking God, why, God? He's not cursing him. He's not slandering God. 
But He's in pain. He's in suffering. He's in agony. People try and come. Job has a total of four friends who come. Three who come at the very beginning. Uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You guys don't have to remember those names. But they come up and they start answering and giving some suggestions. You want to know why? You want to know why? You want to know why this is happening to you, Job? Go to the next slide. Job's friends say that Job deserved his pain because of a sin he committed. Because of a sin that he committed. I mean, they go, again, I'm not going to dive into all the poetry here. But understand, it starts off, this is the way it will go. Job will say, I'm innocent. And then Eliphaz will say, no, you're obviously sinful. And then Job will answer that. And then Bildad will answer that. And then Job will answer that. And Zophar will answer. And we repeat that pattern over and over and over again. But they go really far in Job chapter 22. I'm going to read that to you. Job chapter 22, verse 1 through 9. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, Can a mighty man be of use to God or an insightful man be useful to himself? Is there any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous or prophet if you make your ways perfect? It is because of your reverent fear that He reproves you, that He enters into judgment against you. Is not your evil great and your iniquity, iniquities without end? For you have taken pledges of your brothers without cause and stripped the clothing of the naked. To the weary you have given no water to drink and from the hungry you have withheld bread. But the earth belongs to the mighty man and the highly respected man inhabits it. You have sent widows away empty and the might of the orphans has been crushed. So what is he saying there? He's saying, look at all the wicked things you've done. Here's the problem. Job never did them. He's just making up stuff. He's saying, I mean, obviously, you must have done something. You must have even done these things. Look at your iniquities, how great they are. They're even making up stuff. Saying, no, you must deserve the pain. And you see their arguments are going back and forth. And Job is saying, I'm innocent. Why is this happening? And their friends are saying, no, no, no. You are sinful. And that's why you have so much pain. And that's why you have so much suffering. Now, let me pause here really quickly. Is that how God works? If you sin, do you immediately receive punishment for it? Not necessarily. Now, there are some things I do believe that you get as a punishment for your sin. Here's an example. If you smoke your entire life, you know what I think you're going to get? Cancer. I think that's a punishment for your sin. But God doesn't operate like that. God's bigger than our petty sins. He's going to squash them one day. He's going to put them under His foot one day. He doesn't have to get us now. Sometimes He does. He doesn't have to. There's not a direct, this sin equals this punishment correlation. I've got a lot of verses to prove that too. On the next slide, I need someone to open up to Genesis 50, 19 through 20. Who wants that? I need you guys are gonna have to go quick. Who wants it? Who wants it? Casey. Who wants John 9, 1 through 7? Logan. Who wants Matthew 5, 43 through 45? Emma. Who wants 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12? Who wants Luke 13 through 15? I'll get you on the next one. I'm going to have you open up, Jonathan. I'm going to have you open up to Job 42, 10-13. Alright. Read for us Genesis 50, 19-20. By the way, this is Joseph. Uh, after every bit of evil that he's been through, all of the being sold into slavery, falsely accused, all the things that he's been in, this is what he has to say concerning it. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. Gone, God planned it for good to bring about the present result of the present result, the survival of many people. You planned it for evil. 
But God meant it for what? For good. For good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There was nothing in uh, uh, Joseph's scenario where he could say, why, God, why? There was no reason at all that he could have known what was going on. But at the end, he was like, oh, my goodness, the big picture was so much grander than I could have expected. What about uh, John 9, 1 through 7? As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, and that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, not his coming, and no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. And they anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back sinning. The neighbors who those had seen him before he was a beggar were saying, It is not the man who used to sit and beg. Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am a man. Just go ahead and stop right there. So you guys see what he said there? They said, who? Was it his parents who sinned? Or was it his sin? Is that why it's blind? He said, It wasn't for that reason at all. It was so the mighty works of God could be seen. Sometimes suffering and pain happens because God is most beautiful against the backdrop of pain and suffering. Matthew 5, 43-45. He gives rain to the just and the unjust. He gives the next breath to the wicked as well as to the righteous. 2 Timothy 1, 8-12. through 12. Paul was right. He said, I'm suffering right now. And why am I suffering right now? Why am I going through this right now? He didn't have the big picture answer like Joseph had, but he was saying, I know that the one I'm serving is faithful. And so I'll go through whatever suffering I've got to go through. In Luke 13, 1 through 5. Okay, so what is this? What is this? Well, there's two stories that Jesus goes through. He's questioned about this idea about these Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. Pilate was a madman, just straight up madman. And he was violent and he was wicked. All right. So some Jews, some Galileans, they had ticked him off. I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, but they ticked him off. And then they went into the temple to go offer sacrifices. And when they went to the temple to go offer sacrifices, Pilate sent in soldiers with swords, armed. They went in there and they killed them while they were offering sacrifices. Their blood was mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus says, were they worse sinners because of the way they died? No, they weren't. 
And then he says, I tell you, uh, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That was the point of it. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What do you think of those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse offenders? There was a Tower of Siloam. It was standing upright. It was a, uh, a monument that had been there for a long time. 18 people were gathered there around the Tower of Siloam. And you know what that thing did for no reason? It fell on top of those 18 and crushed them. And everyone knew that story. Jesus said, do you think they were worse sinners because that happened to them? No. Why did it happen? Because unless, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. There are greater things at work than our situations. Job couldn't see it. His friends were trying to say, hey, your situation is what puts you in the predicament you're in right now. But God doesn't work like that. God will vanquish evil. God will destroy those who are against him. But he doesn't have to be petty about it and do it now. Rather, what are we living in now? We're living in a time of grace where we can always hear the gospel, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our, uh, our turmoil and trials. We can hear the gospel and we can repent and we can turn to Christ. Repent or you will likewise perish. So Job's friends are wrong. Next slide, Job asserts his innocence. And tells the Almighty to answer him. And we've already looked at that verse. We've already seen it. He asserts his innocence. He tells the Almighty to answer him. Now we see Job standing up there and he's getting fighting mad. Almighty? Else should I? Because he's not calling him Yahweh. You answer me. You're in control. You're mighty. You're strong. You're powerful. You answer me. Else should I? You do it. I've told you I'm innocent. Now remember the question. The question is not why. The question is, is God just? Is God just? Yahweh has not been uttered in the book of Job since chapter 2. There is a disconnect. There is a rift. There is a division between the relational aspect of Job and God. And Job's friends can't fix it. Job can't fix it. In fact, every single path they go on gets Job more and more angry, more and more sad, and his friends more and more self-righteous. Who can restore this broken relationship? Everybody flip to Job 38. Everybody. Now I'm going to read it to you from my LSB. Okay? If you don't have a Bible with you, um, it's on the study guide, these verses. But go to the next verse, the next thing. All of a sudden, God appears in a whirlwind. And God's about to answer the real question. Look at this. And it hits you like a freight train. The first two words impact you so mightily. Then Yahweh. Or if you've got the ESV, then the Lord. And it should be all capitalized there. L-O-R-D. Is it capitalized all in the ESV? Yahweh has shown back up. Yahweh has come to restore it. Then Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you make me know. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you know understanding, who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it? 
On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment and dense gloom its swaddling band and I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors. And I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. What, is, what happens here? God shows up. Yahweh shows up. He appears in a whirlwind to answer the real question. He appears in a whirlwind. Guys, understand what I'm saying there. In a whirlwind. Do you guys know what a whirlwind is? What is a whirlwind? What do we call it today? Tornado. God shows up in a whirlwind and He talks to Job out of a whirlwind. Guys, that's got to blow Job's mind for a million reasons. First of all, wind is talking to him. Second of all, it's the same thing that killed his kids. And what's going to restore this relationship? God's going to appear. Yahweh's going to show up. And He's going to show up in the very thing that was used to cause calamity. The very destruction that was on His entire family. God's going to show up in the most unusual way Job could have ever expected. And God's going to answer the real question. He's going to bring the reconciliation. God's going to show up. And what does he say? He doesn't look at him and he doesn't give him the answer why. He looks at him and he says, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I formed the earth and everything in it? Where were you when I told the sea to go no further? Where were you when the stars were singing my name? Where were you when all these things happened? And what do we see right there? We see that God's not, answer, God's not interested in answering the question of why. God is looking at me saying, I am just. I see things that you don't see. You don't understand the things I know. But I have never left you. I am here. I am just and I will answer you and bring restoration to you out of the very thing that has caused so much horror in your life. And from here on out, the book doesn't call him El Shaddai, nor does it call him Elohim. From here on out, he is Yahweh. God restores the relationship. Job is restored. The why is never answered. But God is clearly seen. I want you to read, I think Joseph asked, uh, not Joseph, Jonathan. I asked you to read uh, Job 42, 10 to 13. Didn't I? Will you read that for me? Go ahead. And Yahweh restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And Yahweh increased all that Job had to hold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And they ate bread with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him all the calamity that Yahweh had brought on him. And each one gave him one pesita and each a ring of gold. And Yahweh blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 pairs of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. So Job is restored. Job is given an even sweeter and more prosperous life at his end than he had at his beginning. Is God just to do that? Yeah. Was God just to put him through all the things he went through? Yeah. Because God can look at things that we can't see. 
Guys, we can ask why. And, 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 and God never gets on to Job for asking why. But what does God do? God shows up and He says, Job, I'm just. And even though you don't understand what's happening here, even though you can't see the why, even though your friends don't see the why, even though they don't know what's going on, you don't know what's going on, I am just. And the reality is that the same thing is going on today. We must, like Job, we must trust God under all circumstances. Trust Him not only when we do not understand, but because we don't understand. Do you guys see the difference there? We trust God because we don't understand. God is just. Let me really quickly draw that scarlet thread to the Gospel. This world is riddled with pain and suffering and sin and death. And all over, people are looking for answers. Why, 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 why? God sent an answer. It was in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what were the problems that were to be addressed? The problems that were to be addressed were sin and death and life. Those were the problems to be addressed. Jesus came. Jesus was sinless. But Jesus died a sinner's death. Jesus did not deserve death. And yet Jesus was killed on the most horrific execution tool that they had at the time. Jesus rose to life. You say, well, I know that story. How does that connect with Job? Because understand this, guys. It makes zero sense at all in a world that is sinful, in a world that is hurting, in a world that is trying to escape death, that is trying to figure out a problem of death and life. It makes no sense in our minds, zero sense in our minds, that the answer would come in death. Just like it made no sense that the thing that should have brought peace with God is a whirlwind. The very thing that was used to kill His children should not be the thing that restores fellowship with God. In the same way, when we look at the cross of Christ, we sit there and say, this doesn't make sense in my mind. This is the worst sin ever committed. They're killing an actual innocent man. They're putting him to death on the worst execution they have available to him. It doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? And God's not interested in answering the why. He's saying, I am just. And because of the work that I do, I can bring restoration. Only I can bring a right relationship out of a death. Death is defeated. Out of a sinless life being killed like a sinner. Sin is defeated because of a dead man who rose to life. We can have eternal life. So how does Job point us to the Gospel? Oh, it does in a very miraculous way. God doesn't answer the wise. But God does show He's just. And in the case of Job, He answers that in a whirlwind, the most 
horrific thing that Job could have ever imagined to get the answer out of. And in our lives, in our situation, Christ answers through the death, burial, and resurrection that He really went through. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love You and we do praise You and I thank You for the book of Job and I thank You for the reality that we can ask why and we can do those things and, and, and Father, we can be in Your presence and we can, we can talk to You and You're willing to hear. But Father, I pray that in the midst of calamity, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of life, we will recognize that it's not the why that's important. It's the justice that You give. And Father, it's the justice that You provide through Your Son, Jesus. It doesn't make sense to us. If, we're really, if we were going to plan this out, it wouldn't make sense. We wouldn't do it that way. If we were going to answer Job, we wouldn't do it in a whirlwind. But Father, Your ways are not our ways and Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And You are bigger than we are. And we thank You that there is a cross that our Savior died on. And we thank You that there is a tomb that is empty because He rose. And we thank You that we can have life in the name of Jesus. And I pray that You would be with these students in the days ahead, in the months that we go through, through whatever trials, through whatever hardships come our way. God, we wouldn't ask why so much as we ask, are You just? And Father, I pray that You would prove to us time and time again, oh yes, You're just. And You're good. We might not get the answer in the way that we expect it or the way we want it. But Father, You're just. It's in your Son's name, Jesus, we ask these things in force sake. Amen.